understanding and march along, you know, and hike along his, his, uh, his holiness and, and his justice. Um, but anyway, maybe that's what eternity's for because maybe it, there's just no end to all of it. Maybe it's going to take us all of eternity to comprehend the, those facets of God. But um, it's hard for us to understand in this life. It's hard for us to understand in our separation from our invisible God, from what we see as very physical. Um, and in that, that regard, it's almost beyond our comprehension, but not quite. God has revealed to us in just glimpses or, or, or facets, just a, a snapshot of his glory. And even in those little parts, even in those little pieces, and even though we can't see the whole thing, in those little facets, we see enough to get us excited. We see enough to recognize him for who he is. He is the glorious one. He is our glorious God. And and uh, th- I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about today about how we understand God's glory and how we've kind of come to the understanding that we have today. And I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but it really is. This is really incredibly good stuff. I'm talking about, well, here, we'll get into it. Uh, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament, we have some words in the New and the Old Testament that kind of help us understand what God's glory is like. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is kabod, or if you want to say it a little closer, maybe kavod. Um, it is the kavod of God that's talked about in the Old Testament. That's the Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament of God's glory. And that term kavod means a weightiness or a meaningfulness or a value. And you can think of it like they would talk about terms of great treasure. And you can imagine, you know, a, a whole load of gold is glorious because it has a lot of weight. It is in, in just because of its mass, it is a glorious thing. And, and that's how God has talked about in the Old Testament about his glory. It is weighty. He is weighty. He is significant. He has value. Everything about him has meaning. And uh, we can understand God a little bit that way. Um, and in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, in some of the, especially in Isaiah, where, where Isaiah just spends chapters going on and on and on about the glory of God and the, the majesty of his understanding and the incredible nature of him just speaking a universe into, into existence. Um, and he'd go on and on about that. But in, in spite of all that, God is always shown to be more valuable than all he's created. He is weightier, and, and uh, let, me, let me, you know, you've, you've, been, you've watched any of those Nova shows or any of that, you know, they talk about gravity and mass and, and time in terms now where they talk about it like being like a sheet and something with a lot of weight really pulls down on that sheet and you see some, some massive stars or, or, or some massive uh, uh, gravitational forces and pulls uh, like... Um, like what's maybe at the center of black holes, and, and they take this you know pretend sheet to talk about its 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 function and its force on the things around it. And it has great gravity attraction, but it also affa- affects kind of the space and time as we understand it. And and you put a black hole in the middle of one of those sheets on one of those computer generated graphics, and and man, it just creates a, a huge deep uh, dive in in that fabric. Well, well, all of the stars, all of the suns, and all of the worlds, if you combined their weightiness, they're not as significant as our God. They, 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 they fail, they, they pale in comparison to the majesty and the greatness and the glory of their creator because he just one day spoke them into being and controls their, 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 their movement, their passage, their life uh, controls them all, as we were singing this morning. And he, it's like he holds all of the universe in the hollow of his hand, and it's all right there. And you and I marvel at the size and the complexity of it all, and we can't even see it all. But God looks at it in the palm 
of his hand. He is glorious, weighty, meaningful, significant. That is who we worship. He is infinitely weighty, infinitely more significant than anything else, everything else in the universe. In the New Testament, the word for glory is doxa. And it's a, it has a kind of a different term. It's kind of a different way of looking at glory. It means an outshining. It means something that, that pours out from something that is, um, that is glorious. And, you know, we see it around women's necks, right? And on their ears, you see diamonds or shiny metal, silver or gold. And there's an outshining or a glory that, that comes from, that is jewelry that, that, you know, ladies like. And I, I don't know, men like to see it on ladies. I don't really know. But anyway, um, uh, but, but we, we see this kind of outshining where it reflects light and, and, and reflects uh, color in a certain way. And we look at those, ah, oh, that's glorious. God is described in the New Testament in this way. He is, his glory shines out from him. And a matter of fact, um, someone said once that God's uh, creating all of creation, that that was like God's going public with his glory. He made something that, that people could look to and say, ah, he's glorious because I can see in his creation of the stars that he is glorious, he is majestic, he is powerful, and he is incredibly creative in the way that he thinks in the way that he lives, in the way that he, uh, in the way that he's created the universe, and it shines out from his creation. It also shines out from his word, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that. But I'm going to save that that uh, sermon for a couple of weeks from now. But um, we see obviously in God's glory in his word, and really, were not for God's word, what we would we know about the glory of God? It's only what we could pick up from creation. It's very general. We can look at his creation. You guys just read through Romans one. What did what did Romans one? Did what did Paul say about God? God's creation. What does it do for us? Romans chapter 1. Oh, I put you on the spot. You didn't know there was going to be a test this morning, didn't you? A pop quiz. Yeah, his, and I can't, he says it two different ways, two ways, and Clint, I've talked about this. It confuses us every time. But uh, yeah, his, his, in, his invisible qualities, his, his divine nature, and his something else. Okay, look it up for me, somebody. It's in the 20s. Yeah, well, I always say it backwards. It's in the Romans chapter 1 in the 20s. His, his divine nature and his something power. Is that right? Help a brother out. Come on. Who's got it? His divine nature and eternal power. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, we always get them backwards. Yeah. So Klein always, goes, always get those backwards. So his divine nature and his eternal power are demonstrated by what he's created. So it says, it basically, Romans chapter 1 says, no one has an excuse. You should have known that there was someone glorious who created all this. So it doesn't even matter if you had the Old Testament. It doesn't matter if you had the New Testament. You knew by what you saw that someone great and glorious created all of this. And so everyone, instead, of course, the, the condemnation of Romans chapter 1 was, you guys saw that there was a great and glorious creation, and you decided, huh, I think I'll worship the creation instead of the creator, right? And that's his condemnation for all of mankind, basically. But in his creation, in the stars, right, they pour forth speech, the prophet would say. They pour forth speech night after night. They proclaim the glory of God over and over again. The God's creation is proclaiming his glory. Uh, but most clearly and most significantly, God's glory is outshines from the person, the work, the character of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry, Romans, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. He, this is Paul's referring to Jesus as the word, um, which has a lot of meaning that we'll go into this morning. But he, says, he refers to him as the word. And he said, listen to what he says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So, yeah, Paul says, uh, Paul says we, we got to see it. We got to see the glory of God in the person and in the works and in the healings and in the mercy and in the compassion of Jesus Christ and in all of the miracles, of course, that he'd performed. We saw an outshining of his glory in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, God's creation, God's glory, most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. Um, here's the other great part, though, for you and I, is that Somehow in God's, um, man, uh, uh, okay, uh, somehow in God's plan was that you and I would be able to see and recognize and pick up on his glory. But not only that, and I'm going to talk about that more in just a second, but not only that, but we would be able to partake in his glory, okay? Uh, uh, we'd be able to be part of this story that God's that God's telling about his gloriousness that is the creation, that it, even it, it lives through the fall of mankind and, and then is picked up in the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ and ultimately uh, the ultimate salvation and the ultimate redemption of mankind. I'm talking way too big theme this morning. I'm really sorry. But, it, but it's hard to talk about God's glory any other way, isn't it? Uh, um, but it, it and all of those things are, are captured by the glory of God and it shines through the glory of God. But here's the deal. You and I get to participate in his glory because he has come into your life if you're a believer. And you recognize the glory of his mercy for you. You saw the depth of his love for you while you were still a sinner, while you were at your very worst, before you cleaned up any aspect of your life. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. He died for you while you were at your worst. And you recognize the same thing that I recognize in that moment of salvation. God's holiness is perfect, infallible, and he cannot stand in justice. He cannot stand that you and I tread on his authority over us. Yet, at the same time, he's perfect in holiness. It does not undo his love and his compassion and his love for sinners like you and me. And so all at the same time, he is glorious in holiness and he is glorious in love and mercy and compassion. And he married those two in a beautiful plan to be our hero through Jesus Christ to rescue us from the doom that we deserve. You recognize, you saw his glory and you gave his life to him. But you're participating now in his glory in this is that he's bringing change to your life now because of that incredible demonstration of love and because of the power of his Holy, work, his Holy Spirit at work within you. He's now changing you, isn't he? You're now, your life now is never going to be the same. He stepped into your life and he's altered your future forever. Amen? And now you and I begin to participate in the glory of God. He begins to change our character. He begins to change our view of things. He begins to change us to make us more like him. And we begin to see that I have been, um, I've been uh, unforgiving, but I look at my God who saved me and he showed me forgiveness so I can change and I can show forgiveness by the power of the Spirit. Right? Um, uh, I've been unyielding or I've been offended and so I'm angry, yet God was offended by me and he showed me great compassion and so I can show great compassion. As we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, as we grow to look more and more like Jesus Christ, we're actually, you're actually participating in the glory of God in this incredible story that he's telling about himself, and he involves you and I in it. Uh, pretty, pretty great stuff. Okay, um, the, the other way that we can think about God is not only in, in the words that describe them in the Old and New Testament, in the kavod, the weightiness, or the docks of the outshining of his glory that we can see in things, but also just about his attributes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through this really fast. Um, 
all of his attributes together, you know, the fact that he's perfectly holy and perfectly loving and that one doesn't cancel out the other because in his immense uh, wisdom, God figured out a way to do both, right? He punished our sins because they needed to be punished because he couldn't stand for the injustice. But he did it in a loving way and it never, it, it never, there was never a, a hint or a shade of his love that was undone by his great mercy and he lives in perfect holiness and perfect love all at the same time for us. Exodus chapter 15 combines it like this. This is the song of Moses after God had uh, rescued them from the, Isra- from the uh, I- Egyptians. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses, this is part of it. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Listen to what he says. Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Do you see? He's combining. He says, this is what you're like, and these are things that you do. You, you are majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and also working wonders wonders as he had done all of that work for the Israelites. Um, his holiness and his righteousness, his beauty, his, his moral character, his omniscience, his omni- omnipotence, his, his goodness and compassion, his mercy and his love and, his, and uh, for his own greatness and for us as sinners. One of the great things about the scriptures, one of the great things that we see that's almost a paradox to us when we look at it, but Jesus Christ, when he hung out here on earth, hung out with lousy sinners he didn't hang out with the majestic people. He didn't hang out with the people that you and I would look at and say, well, they may, must be more like God because they're wealthy or they're well-off or, or because they're powerful or because they're beautiful or because they have a, a righteous life. He hung out and loved and loves sinners. That is a beautiful God, isn't it? The next thing is that we can understand about God's glory is, is God's glory might be understood as his beauty. Jonathan Edwards wrote a lot about this. Um, he wrote about God's glory. He said that God's glory is his beauty and that there is no beauty greater than his. His righteousness and holiness and his love that he is able to, to uphold to the nth degree supremely all the time, one without counseling out the other, it is beautiful. And he doesn't just love people like himself, like you and I do. That was a slight, I'm sorry. Um, he doesn't love people just like himself, like you and I do. He loves sinners, the worst of them, of, of us. He, he loves the worst of sinners, and um, he is beautiful and glorious for that. Amen. And not only that, not only does he love us, it's not like he has a love for us like you and I sometimes show love for our children like we put up with them, right? Um, but I'm talking about a deep, devoted love. He pursued you, didn't he? Whenever you were far off from him, you had no thoughts about pursuing or going and chasing God. You had no thought to his glory and wanting, having some desire for it in your life. He came and got you, didn't he? He went and sought you like the prodigal father, like the, the story of the prodigal son where the father is out scanning the horizon, looking, waiting intently, and then running out to meet you. He came and got you, didn't he? Because he loved you and he loves, it in, he loves us in a loving devotion. He came and pursued you and brought you back into his fold, into his arms, into his will. Um, Just awesome about the glory of God. And the amazing thing is he didn't let our sin get in the way of his love. He dealt with that too. Amen. Beautiful God that we worship. Um, The next thing is is that God made you and I for his glory. In in Isaiah chapter, I keep going back to Romans. I've been in Romans too much, I guess. In Isaiah chapter 43, um, this is what uh, Isaiah says. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is one of those passages that talk about the restoration of the people of Israel. And listen to what he says, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, 
whom I created for my what? For my glory, whom I formed and made. We are created for his glory. And in this is tied to this concept about us bearing the image of God. We are unique. We as human beings are unique. A flower doesn't get to decide whether it's not going to glorify God. A mountain does not get the choice. A person has the choice. A person has the choice to glorify God or to not glorify God. A person has the also, but we were created, God created us with a capacity that nothing on earth has. We have the capacity to look at and to observe and to think and to ponder things. Nothing on our earth can do that. We are the only ones. We're created uniquely this way. And perhaps this is some of what makes us in the image of God is that we're contemplative people. We can take in information and we can ponder it and we can make decisions about what he's done, about, about uh, the world around us. But also importantly and supremely important about God. God can show you his glory. He can show you the glory of his creation. And you and I can ponder that and we can agree and say, yes, Lord, truly you're glorious. Or we can look at creation, we can look at all that God has made, and we can say, I want nothing to do with the Creator. He will have no authority over me, right? That's the choice we have as human beings. But his, his purpose in creating human beings was that we might reflect His glory, that we might be participants in the story of Him telling about His own greatness and His own glory. Um, we have the capacity to receive, we have the capacity to understand, we have the capacity to respond, and we have the capacity, listen to me, we have the capacity to live our lives for the glory of God because anything short of that is hollow and meaningless. Amen? This is true. Um, I'll just tell you it is. You know, <laughs> this is true. I'll just tell you this is true. Um, but here's the problem is that I have a problem and you have a problem in that we have a tendency to focus our lives continually on ourselves. Anyone else struggle with that? Oh, good. I love it when it's not just me. I, I feel so isolated sometimes. Um, we all the time are taking our lives and saying, "Oh, but I have so I have all of these struggles, and and I, I you know I don't I need more money, and and I have so many struggles, you know, with my children and in in my marriage and all this stuff." And we have a tendency to always bring it back to ourselves and always refocusing our life on ourselves. For what purpose? Okay, do that for 80 years and let's see where you end up. Do, do that for 100 years and let's see how, how glad you are looking back at your life that you spent it that way. It's hollow, isn't it? There's something about salvation that is glorious in that we see this isn't really about me. There's this kind of a dawning, a, a revelation that we see in creation or that we see at, at our redemption or salvation that we begin to see really how things are for the first time, you know, that I really begin to see, you know what? Maybe this whole thing, maybe I'm not the actor on the stage that I thought I was. You know, uh, the scriptures are pretty humbling in this, um, except for one or two characters in the Bible. Most people, you know, they live a life and they have, you know, they have great triumph and they have great failure. Every single person in the, in the scripture has failures and successes both, right? But in their lives, typically the way that that ends for them is they're given a verse, they died, they were buried, and the story goes on. Why is that? It was never about them. And I don't care who they are. It was David, great leader. Moses, great leader. Hey, there's a lot of great leaders. The story was never about them. In fact, every one of those people were images of Christ. Right, I, I talked to you a lot about archetypes or types of, of Christ or, or, or a foreshadowing of who Christ is. Let me see if I, can, if I can flip this around on you. You are an image of Christ in the same way 
or in a similar way to how David was an image of Christ. You guys have heard me go on and on about how you can't turn the page without seeing Jesus in the Scriptures because it is all about Him. All of Scriptures, all of history is all about Jesus Christ. All of creation is about Him and His preeminence and His glory. It is all about Him. It really is. Um, and the reason, and, and the, the reason that, that David is shown in, and, and raised up as king over Israel is so that God might, through him, show the glory of Christ. Okay, you, you, every one of you here this morning is here for the same purpose. You are an image bearer of God. In other words, he's desired all along to reflect his glory in your life. That's pretty profound. Similar to David, similar to Moses, similar to the Apostle Paul, his desire is for every one of us to reflect the glory of our great God and to participate in this great story of himself. And that is the significance of your life. Listen, it's not about the struggles that you and I face. And I know there are some horrible things going on in many of our lives, and I don't want to make light of that. But what I want to do show you is that there's something much larger than you and me going on here. Amen? You are an image of God. You are created to bear his image. And I want you to think of that in terms this week. And just ponder this. I ask you to meditate because we need the, we need the word of God to be more than in our heads. It's, it, it's got it's to have a change in our hearts. And, and one of the great ways to do that is to really to meditate on some of these things deeply and to spend time with God. I, you, there's just no other way, uh, right? Jesus told us this, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. But, uh, but, but with me, right, he says we can bear great fruit. Well, some of the fruit in the life of the believer is the fruit of God's presence and his holiness reflected in them. There's just another thing or two I need to say, and, and we'll uh, get on with it. Um, I, I keep trying to f- reflect back my, myself. I, I, I keep trying to make my life about me, and that's part of my sinful nature. It's also part of our society, right? Society is just our culture, our, um, even marketing, right? It's all about me. It's all about what will make you, you know, they market, what, this will make you happy. Uh, beer commercials, right? Men, this will make you, like, fabulous. You'd be surrounded by beautiful women, right? That's what marketing is all for, um, um, which is, you know, just has to be truth. Okay. Yeah, they're all lies, aren't they? Okay, um, but, but here, let me, let me give you some real practical things before I let you go because I'm sorry we've been so big, but let me give you some real practical application. Okay, you need to think of yourself as an image bearer of God. And a matter of fact, I need to skip down. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, there, who's on the computer? Tim, uh, 2 Corinthians 3. This is a beautiful place where, where Paul is talking about Moses. You remember he came down from, from the mountain and therefore while his, his face literally outshone or doxa, right? You can use that word. Use that at your next party you're at. People will be very impressed. Uh, the outshining of the glory of God is reflected on the face of Moses. Now, now Paul's going to take that and he's going to say, it should be that way in your life. Your life should be like that of Moses, but even greater because he talks about the old glory fading and the new glories increasing in glory, the new, uh, the new covenant. Anyway, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces, unashamedly, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'll tell you a real quick story. Um, uh, in Augustine's City of God, he talks about, um, he talks about the city of humanity, 
where people are all about themselves and they love themselves and they hate God. And then there's the city of God. And in the city of God, the people who have arrived there, those people love God and hate self, okay? All right, now in Augustine's story, um, at salvation, you're picked up from the city of humanity and you're delivered over into the city of God. It's not exactly like that, though, is it? It didn't happen for me that way. It's more like we're on the journey. It's more like we're, we're in the process. It's more like we're travelers um, I'm going, leaving. I'm, we've been saved from the city of what, what Bunyan would call the city of destruction, but the city of humanity. And we're on a venture. We're on an adventure to get to the city of God. And here's what's happening all the while. All the while, God's changing my thoughts to be more in line with what glorifies you. He's changing my motives and my affections from I desire more things to I desire a deeper relationship with God. And it's painful process, isn't it? It's painful for me. I hate it. I wish we were just there. It's like being in the car and the kids always ask you, what, are we there? I, I'm like that. I, I'm like that. I'm like, I, I want to be there. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. But it's painfully slow. It's thought by thought, isn't it? It's every day I'm presented an opportunity. I can be for myself or I can be for God's glory. Let me give you an example. Brennan and I have an argument. I know it, it happens. I know you're shocked. I'm glad you were sitting down. Brennan and I have an argument. It's usually her fault. No, not really. <clears throat> Brent and I have an argument. At that time, let me tell you, I have the opportunity to display God's glory as an image bearer of his, or I can be all about myself. Let me tell you, and every one of you have faced this if you're married, even for like five seconds. Okay. Um, you have the choice at that time, right? Some words are said, things are said. Maybe you said things that you shouldn't have said. You have an argument. You have a disagreement. Why? Well, because one of you has a male mind and the other has a female mind. You were brought up in different places. You see things different ways. True? True? Yes. Okay. Everyone say, this is true. Yes, I've, I've experienced this. We don't always agree. Shocking, isn't it? No. Uh, it's the redemptive quality of marriage that God's built into every single one. But anyway, here's the deal. At that moment and after it's all over, I have a, a choice every time I can go to Brenda and I can say, you know what? I love you. I want to take responsibility for what I said and what I did. And if I was unyielding, I want to I ask you for forgiveness. I, I, I want to take my part of this. But in the end, I love you. And this issue is nothing compared to our life together. So let's figure it out. We'll, we'll work out how we're going to agree on this. Or what? What's your other choice? I know you've never done it. Maybe you don't know. You can be unyielding, right? You can be like what Proverbs says about an offended brother is like a fortified city. You, oh, no. No, you stay away. I ain't talking to you. I'm mad at you. Huh? No, we're not talking. Don't, don't come near me, right? We can be one of the two ways. You see, one way is all about me. I was offended. And so now you're going to pay, right? The other thing is, is that <laughs> sometimes you touch a nerve when you talk about some of these things. Um, you can say, I'm offended, this is all about me. Or I can remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, love your wife, husband. Love your wife as Jesus loved her, says the church, gave himself for her. I can't do that and hold and be angry against Brenda, can I? So at that moment, I've got a decision. I can reflect the glory of God and I can go to my wife and I can say, I love you. I'm sorry, let me take responsibility for my part. I don't want to argue, I don't want to fight with you about this. I want to come to agreement with you on this. And I can go to her, I can, I can, uh, I can take the leap of going first in, in asking for forgiveness, and it follows that she'll ask for forgiveness, usually. Um, just kidding. That's one of the great things about being the 
pastor, not the pastor's wife. No, um, and, and we get to, let me tell you, there's other places, other times. You and I raise children, right? Some of us, many of us. Children can be very frustrating, can't they? Um, children can be disobedient, just outright, just, I mean, right? You can butt heads with them all the time. You can, you can be angry and you can punish them for that. Or you can remember, I'm an image bearer of God to my child. So to sit around and stoop in being angry with them really doesn't reflect God very well to them, right? Let me tell you really quickly one last thing is that whenever you're in relationship with people, you're going to have conflict. We, we people are imperfect. We're insensitive at times. We're selfish more than we even realize, right? Every one of us is, is that way. Um, but, but here's the deal. When you're offended, you can do what is right and go and go to your brother in, in, in a desire to reconcile, or you can say, I've been offended, and I'm going to punish them by shutting them out. One way is all about me. The other way is all about reflecting the glory of God that you have seen and I have seen. He didn't hold our sin against us. Why do you hold, your sin, hold the sin of another uh, brother against them? Right? One way is all about me. The other way is all about God, and we are all image bearers. Um, I just read a book I thought was really interesting. He said, we represent not just represent, but we represent Christ to people around us every day. You do it to your spouse. You represent Christ to your children. You represent Christ to your coworkers. And the only question is, are you going to live for his glory or are you going to live for yourself? Listen, everything that we do, our goal in, in our church, in, in my life, in, in our marriage, and things, my goal is to always to be glorifying Jesus Christ, to always remember that I'm an image bearer. I'm reflecting his glory. I'm reflecting his image. Um, and I make mistakes all the time. I blow it all the time. I get offended and I make it all about me all the time. But my goal is, as I'm on the journey to the city of God, and one day I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. One day it's going to be real obvious. You know, God's love's going to be out there, and I'll look up, and we won't be able to see the top, and we'll look down, we won't be able to see the bottom. We'll look west and east, and we won't be able to see either end of it. Then it'll be real easy, right? It'll be real obvious. But today it's a struggle, isn't it? Um, but I want you to remember, you're an, you're an image bearer just the same as David. You're an image bearer just the same as Moses was. Jesus Christ's glory is intended to be reflected in your life, the way that you live, the way that you have your relationships, the way you, that you deal with other people, the way you show forgiveness, the way that you show mercy, the way that you show compassion. And the ideal here is for us to be like our God, our creator, our savior. Amen? Amen. We got to wrap up. I've kept you way too long. I'm sorry. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we just thank you for this. We thank you, Father, that you've created us for such a bigger purpose than just us ourselves. What a what a hollow life we would have, Lord God, if we just sat around and were bitter, or or we were just trying to amass great wealth, and in the end we couldn't keep, or or if we were bitter and angry because of relationships that uh, that we were offended in. Uh, but there's no there's no there's nothing in that. It's hollow. It's empty. You've created us, though, Lord God to be image bearers. You've created us uniquely in the universe to be able to see your glory and to step up and say, I want a part of that. I want to be part of your story. I want to be one of yours who's, who's you've taken and, 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 and I was, uh, I, I was in, in shadows, I was in darkness, but I want to be one of yours who reflects your glory instead. So Father, um, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you that you've rescued us from ourselves. You've rescued us from selfishness. You've rescued us from, from just vain pursuits that get us nowhere and mean nothing at the end of our lives. You've, instead, you've put us in this great story 
about your glory, our great God and and, uh, our glorious God, and we're so grateful. Father, I pray, help us this week as we think about what we do and about how we respond to people. I pray that you would help us to remember I'm an image bearer of the glorious God. Help us, Lord. We ask ask this in uh, in the name of your great Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Great week. Thanks for being here.